if you book, boy, I'm going home. Book, boy, I'm going if you book, boy, I'm going home. Book, yes, sir. You already know what time it is. It's the Bronx Bias Podcast, episode 67. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode number 67 of the Bronx Bias Podcast. I'm your host, my name is Denzel, a.k.a. Harry Potter, a.k.a. DeBron James, and we are back like Jordan wearing the faux five. I want to start by saying thank you to everyone who tunes in who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaged with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate all of the love and all the support I receive from y'all. Thank you to all the essentials workers out there. And finally, thank you to all the people who are out here continuously using their voices to affect change in a positive way. We always, 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 always have to start the shows with thank yous because the thank yous are very, 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 very important. Please do not forget your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Podcast merchandise available for purchase. You can visit the website bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com, B-R-O-N-X, B-I-A-S-P-O-D dot M-Y-S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com. Bronx Bias Pod dot my Shopify dot com. Come check it out. Come fuck with me. I got hoodies on there. I got t-shirts. I got tote bags. I got COVID masks and I got stickers with much, much, much more to come. Um, I truly appreciate everyone who has patronized the website. And uh, if this if if you like the show and, and you think of a way that you can support me beyond listening, um, that the great way to do it is just to support the merch. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I run this by myself. I'm independent. So every dollar counts. You better believe it does. So um, anybody out there, if you feel like supporting um, anything that you can, I would truly appreciate it. Um, the, the products are quality materials. It's not like you're going to get a T-shirt and wash it three times and it's going to shrink you know, three times smaller than it than you got it, or the uh, printing on it is gonna come right off as soon as you throw it in the dryer. These are quality products, quality material. Um, so please, if you feel so inclined, I would truly appreciate the to support the pod merch. Um, helps the pod keep running the way it is, 
And uh, I'm just a young black man out here trying to get some money in his pocket and stay out of trouble. So, if again, if you guys feel so inclined to visit the website and patronize the merch, I would truly, 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 truly appreciate it. And with all of that being said, we are going to have a great, 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 great show today. Fully packed, fully packed. And I am in an amazing mood. I am in a tremendous mood and I am ready to go. So let's get it. I am in a very, very, very good mood. Today's intro was an amazing, 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 amazing song from an era in hip-hop that is one of the greatest eras ever, okay? The crunk era in hip-hop is one of the greatest eras ever, okay? Today's intro was Nuck If You Buck by the Crime Mob and Lil Scrappy off of their album Crime Mob. Shout out to Atlanta, Georgia. Shout out to the Crime Mob. Shout out to MIG, Cisco Black, Lil J, Princess, and Diamond. And more importantly, shout out to the Crunk era of music. I mean, like that that period of time, Lil John, you had the East Side Boys, you had Yin Yang Twins, you had Lil Scrappy, you had Trillville, you had David Banner, Bone Crusher, like. 3-6 Mafia, like the Krung era was lit, bro. I, Mike Jones, Mike Jones was just trending on Twitter because uh, some guy was doing an interview and this drunk white dude crashed the thing, crashed the interview, and the black guy who was being interviewed said, hey, have you ever been to the hood? And the white guy was like, nah, I've never been. He was like, you should come through one time. And then the white guy unprompted just started rapping, Mike Jones still tipping. And it's like, yes, like this is what this is the biggest inspiration for the song this week. Just the love of the crunk era that I have. Shout out to Houston, Texas. Shout out to Florida. Shout out to ATL. Like the crunk era, bro. Like right now we're in like the drill era. The drill music is real popular. But in the early 2000s, like seventh grade, eighth grade, ninth grade for me, the crunk motherfucking era, bro. You couldn't touch little John. From what, 2000 to 2000, maybe six? You couldn't touch Little John. Everything Little John touched turned to gold. Turned to gold. Just, man, shout out to the Crunk Era, man. Shout out to Little John, too. More, um, and all the other artists, too, but especially Little John. What a time to be alive. This is the shit, like, that I think about. Like, when I'm 90 years old, right, if the Lord allows me to live that long. And, you know, music is obviously changing every day. It changes every day. So the way that hip hop started to how it sounds now is like night and day. My biggest like fear, I don't even know how to like classify it. I guess it's a fear is like when I'm 90, when I'm old, right? My time is coming to an end on the planet. Are people going to remember this shit? Like, that scares the shit out of me. Like, I don't know why. Maybe that's just my own mental, you know, my craziness, you know, my idiosyncrasy. But, like, are people going to remember Little John? Like, are people going to remember the crime mob? Are people going to remember the Yin Yang Twins and the East Side Boys and, you know, Bone Crusher? Like, are people going to remember that? Like, that that drives me crazy like 
you know, when I play like music and shit like that, I just grew up listening to people hit me like, oh, man, that's cool. Like, what else do they have? And I'm just like, bro, like this is old ass music. (laughs) And, you know, that's just, you know, the young generation listens to their generation of music. Right. The same way how a 16 year old kid is going to really like, you know, 42 Doug, NLE Choppa, you know, Polo G, etc. Old heads like me and I'm not even old sitting back listening to fucking crime mob and shit and niggas gonna be like what the fuck is that like that scares me that really scares me i don't even know like what that's called like i don't even know just like when i'm 90 14 year old kids are gonna be listening to whatever is hot you know at the time but they're not even gonna know little john like they're not even gonna know these guys they won't even know paul wall or mike jones or slim thug right that shit is crazy or dj screw even like the chopped and screwed era i don't know man that just that just like that's just a random thing i'll be thinking about and i just wanted to put it on the podcast but beyond that shout out to the crime mob shout out to the crunk era and it's just great music that i hope we don't forget about as time passes now it is time for my favorite 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 Favorite, 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 favorite segment of the podcast. It is called Bronx Facts. For those of you guys who do not know, or maybe it's your first time listening to the show, Bronx Facts is the segment I like to do at the beginning of each show. Just to give one fact about the Bronx, New York, that people may not know, that people may have never heard before, just to try and show how many great things, how many great ideas, and how many great people come from the Bronx, New York. So... Without any further ado, your Bronx fact for today is many New York residents don't realize that the Belmont section of the Bronx is the real bona fide Little Italy. Arthur Avenue is the best location to buy Italian brands, pasta and pastries. The Italian Bazaar is an eclectic mix of retailers, and a 2013 survey awarded its best buy status to more Arthur Avenue stores than any other New York City neighborhood. That is your Bronx Fact for episode number 67. Damn, son, where'd you find this? All right, so we're getting right to the shits today. Our top topic this week deals with a subject that I've talked about on this show at nauseum. I've dedicated full episodes to this shit. I've dedicated so much time to this shit, and I will continue to dedicate time, find ways to dedicate time to this topic, because I just believe, in my opinion, it is extremely important, and it is about voting, and it is about voting rights. Currently, after the 2020 election, there are about 14 states or so that have redone or brought new legislatures into their state representatives' offices or governor's offices that restricts voting or that changes the way that voting is conducted. And in my opinion, it is a direct response to the minority turnout over the 2020 election. In my opinion, this election that just passed presidential was one of the most actively participated in by minorities. And I believe there is studies that prove that. And 
that's something that I've been like screaming on this microphone about. If you're a black person, if you're a brown person, Asian, Native American, however you identify or wherever you were born or whatever race you belong to that is non-white, it is very, 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 very important that you vote. And, you know, there's a lot of people out there who don't believe voting works. There's a lot of people out there who believe voting is like when you were a kid and your older brother or sister was playing the video game and you were crying and you wanted to play. So they handed you an, a controller that wasn't plugged in and it made you feel like you were participating even though you weren't. Um, and I just think that that opinion is bullshit. It's lazy and it's toxic and it's fucking destructive. I seriously believe that. And I believe that this election showed you that, that when people who generally do not participate and do not speak and do not have a say in how things go is how when they do speak, I should say, when they do speak is how someone like Trump gets the fuck out of there. And when they don't speak is like how somebody like Trump gets in there. You know what I'm saying? So I just believe that in all levels of voting from the state, from the local level to the to the uh, national level is very important. And after the election, you know, states like in Georgia and in like Florida and Arizona, just to name a few, started writing these very, very, very racially motivated voting laws, in my opinion. Again, my opinion. Um, and I believe that, you know, the shit is just completely racist and I think it's completely racially motivated. And I believe that the, they don't want black people to vote. That's just my opinion. I believe that they don't want black people to vote. So there's a there's a new thing that's going up right now um, where Texas is signing is trying to get new law voting restricting laws signed um, and to walk in lockstep with Georgia, who did. And then they suffered with, I believe, Major League Baseball took the All-Star game, which happened last week, Tuesday. Um, I believe they were supposed to originally have it in Georgia. I think I said this on the show. I don't remember which episode. But they were supposed to have it in Georgia. But then as a response to the unjust voting laws that got passed, Major League Baseball decided that they didn't want to participate in Georgia because they didn't agree with the laws. So they moved it to Colorado. And that was just one of the many backlash things that happened in terms of responses to voting rights. So... I have a new article here from Bloomberg um, about the president and the vice president's plan to tackle new voting rights, uh, new voting rights laws that restrict, in my opinion, black people from voting. The headline reads, Biden faces fresh voting rights pressure with Texas showdown. This article was written on July the 12th. Democratic lawmakers in Texas left the state to prevent Republicans from passing new voting restrictions, raising pressure on President Joe Biden to push through federal ballot expansions his allies complain are stalled in Congress. In Detroit on Monday, Vice President Kamala Harris applauded the move by Texas Democrats, who plan to fly to Washington to prevent a quorum and special session of the state legislature, thereby blocking any votes on these measures. Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a Republican, accused the lawmakers of abandoning their constituents. Harris said the Democrats sh have shown, quote, extraordinary courage and commitment. They are leaders who are marching in the path that so many others before did when they fought and many who died for our right to vote. 
She visited Michigan both to discuss Republican-led efforts to curb ballot access with local leaders and encourage coronavirus vaccinations. On Tuesday, Biden is scheduled to deliver a speech on voting rights in Philadelphia. Quote, I do believe that fighting for the right to vote is as American as apple pie, Harris said. But the situation in Texas illustrated the losing battle Democrats are so far fighting nationwide. In the name of election security, Republican lawmakers have passed dozens of new voting restrictions this year, adding hurdles to mail-in voting, reducing local control over elections, and targeting innovations used by large urban counties during the coronavirus pandemic. The efforts are inspired by former President Donald Trump's false claims that widespread fraud led to his 2020 defeat. Democrats have had little response. Two pieces of national legislation that would maintain ballot access are stalled in Congress, and judges as high as the Supreme Court have upheld GOP efforts in states. Quote, we are living on borrowed time in Texas. Several leaders of the Texas State House's Democratic Caucus said in a statement that called for Democrats in Washington to act. Abbott called on the Democrats to put aside partisan political games and get back to the job that they were elected to do. And the State House Speaker, Dade Filan, said that the body will, quote, use every available resource under the Texas Constitution and the unanimously passed House rules to secure a quorum. Democratic activists and civil rights groups say that the Biden administration has left the issues in the hands of local organizers, and they've begun to openly fret that Biden himself is not aggressively pushing Senate Democrats to pass legislation that will override state laws. Republicans are unified against the two bills that have passed the House but are blocked in the Senate. And getting past their opposition would almost inevitably require weakening the Senate filibuster rules. All 50 Senate Democrats would have to agree to such a change. Voting rights activists have urged the White House to pressure moderate Senate Democrats to change the rules so that they do not need 10 Republican votes required for most legislation. In recent months, Harris has met with voting rights advocates in Greenville, South Carolina and Atlanta. At the White House, she also hosted Democratic Texas legislators in an earlier attempt of theirs to block legislation restricting ballot access. Courts have dealt Democrats some recent blows. Last week, a federal judge denied an injunction on Georgia's new voting law that allows state officials to take over local election boards, limits the use of ballot drop boxes, shortens the absentee voting window, and makes it illegal to approach voters in line to give them food and water. Civil rights leaders who met with Biden and Harris at the White House last week told reporters that their supporters would demonstrate this summer to heighten the pressure on Washington to pass voting rights legislation. So to just put it in a three-sentence statement, there's increased pressure by lawmakers in states where there are new voting laws. There's new pressure on the president and the vice president to pass wide sweeping legislation to eliminate these laws or to stifle these laws to not get them passed. 
And I'm just someone who believes in the power of voting. I'm someone in believe, who believes that every person in this world has a voice and voting is one of the ways that you use it. The voter suppression is the is the tool that is used to stop a certain group of people from voting. Generally speaking, if you had to ask yourself this question, who would be the group, the groups targeted by voter suppression? Do you think that it's white people who don't want other white people to vote? I'm just asking just as a general. Or do you think that it's white people who don't want black people to vote, who don't want Hispanic people to vote, who don't want Indian Americans to vote, who don't want Native Americans to vote, who don't want Asians to vote? Because the 2020 election was what? Eight months ago, November, right? December, January, February, March, April, May, June, July. Eight months ago. There's already a number of states who have passed, forget about trying to pass, who have passed unjust voting laws, making it harder for people of color to vote. And that is my opinion. And that opinion will not change. That opinion will not change. This last recent presidential election, even through a pandemic, saw record numbers of voter turnout and participation. These vote, these laws, I should say, that are being proposed and passed now are a direct racist response to that result. Facts. Facts. Is There's nothing. I'm not trying to hear it. I'm not trying to hear it. What are the other reasons that these laws are being passed? These are new laws. And so now I'm just I'm going to continue to push this this shit out. I'm going to continue to talk about this because this is how your rights get taken from you. When you're not paying attention, when you're apathetic and when you think that this shit really doesn't affect you when it does, when it does. Voting on the local level, I believe, is more important than voting on the national level. When you vote on the local level, you're voting for the public advocates, you're voting for your congressmen, your congresswomen, your senators, and your borough presidents, and your comptrollers, and all this shit. And that controls how you directly live in your state. So you have to pay attention to this so that way lawmakers don't get in who then are trying to take voting rights away from people that they are hired to represent. A, 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 a politician is a public official. A police officer is a public servant. When did it become that the people who are supposed to represent the public are given the middle finger to the public? Why is that okay? Why is that something that has become the status quo? If I vote you in, you're supposed to represent me. And even if I didn't vote for you, your job is still to represent me. You can't tell me that the homie, what's his name in uh, in Georgia? What's his name? Brian Kemp? I hope that's his name. But you can't tell me that he signed those voting laws and had everyone's best interests at heart. Obviously, you can't make everyone happy. But clearly, there was a select few of people that he wanted to make happy. And there's a, there's a lot of people that he does not give a flying fuck about. And that's my opinion. So... What can we do, right? What can we do about these things? How can we change it? I understand that people probably listen and say, well, hey, man, I'm just one guy in a random state. I'm just one girl in a random state. What can I do? This is all that I will propose. If you live in a state 
that has new voting laws being trying to be implemented or passed, all you have to do, and I'm going to encourage you to do it, is go to Google because Google is the greatest resource that we have currently in the world. That's why it's valued. That's why it's so valuable. Go to Google, type in new state voting procedures. That's it. New state voting procedures in your state, wherever state you are. So if you're in California, new California state voting procedures. If you're in Georgia, new Georgia state voting procedures. They have each each uh, state legislature has to put rules. You know, they pass the bill. So the rules have to be displayed in the public forum. Go read it. And share it. Just share it on social media. Just share it on IG. Just share it on Twitter. Just share it on link, uh, Snapchat. Just share it on wherever other social medias you use. TikTok. Just share it. I'm not asking you to be a political scientist. I'm not asking you to be Cornell West. <laughs> you know what I'm going to say? I'm not asking you to be Frederick Douglass. I'm just saying take this small thing. And use use the internet to your advantage. Use the internet to help the next man. I've learned so much about politics. I've learned so much about laws. I've learned so much about the history of laws from social media. It's crazy. And again, that's not to say believe everything that you read on the internet because there's a lot of misinformation on the internet. But also, it helps people get a cliff notes version of issues that are being faced. If you post randomly, I'm making it up, New Wyoming voting laws on your social media. You don't know who will be able to see it. And then those the laws will say, for example, if you try to hand out food and water to somebody on a line, you will be arrested. If you go out to there and you didn't know that and you say, oh, man, there's a lot of people waiting on this line. Let me go to Target and get some water for these people. Right. It would be like and you go and get arrested. It would be like, dang, I wish I would have known this before. Right. I just think that. The way it's so easy to share information that there's really no excuse not to. I live in New York, so New York doesn't have these state laws that are restricting on voting. The way I vote is I go to a school because Election Day is usually on a Tuesday. Um, I go to a school and they have they empty out the gymnasium. You wait online. You go to your your section. You fill out your ballots. You slide it in the machine. That's how we vote in New York. I don't know how it's done in other states. But I just think that it's very important to put these messages out there and to say that these things are happening. So that way, when it's time to go vote, you're not blindsided. You know, I think it's very disgusting how voting practices are done traditionally anyway. Election day is usually on a Tuesday. Most people, especially minority people, work. They have to make a living. They don't have the opportunities to hang out and you know, chill all day. They work. So if I have to go to work, right, I'm just making nine to five. Let's just keep it within that window. If I have to work 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. on election day, which is on a Tuesday, either I have to go to the polling place before I go to work. I have to either go on my lunch break or I have to go after work. So the chances that I may miss the poll is high. The chances that the line may be too long and I can't wait for my entire lunch break is high. And the chances that people are all trying to vote before they have to go to work is high. On top of that, in states where it's either hot or cold, if I have to stand on that line, that's also dissuading me from voting. Also, if now there's laws that say 
you can't give me a bottle of water if I'm standing in the 100 degree fucking sun. I'll, I'll go to jail for that shit. That's also dissuading you from voting. And this is shit is not a fucking accident. This is not an accident. This shit is not just happenstance. Like I this shit is is so it's so I don't even know the word right now to describe it. It's so racist. Like we're going to make this shit so fucking hard for you that you won't you won't even want to do this shit. And then we can pass any shit we want. We could put any person in there that we want who has their own agenda that's that helps the select few and leaves the majority in the dust. That's my opinion. So I believe that this shit is something that is really important that a lot of people need to pay attention to and that I will continue to talk about when new developments come up because there's no way that I could just sit back and say, well, it's not my state, so I don't care. It's my people who is being affected by this shit. It ain't white people who's being affected by this. These voting laws are not targeted to stop the white guy from voting, the white woman from voting. These laws are targeted to stop the minority from voting. And I think that's bullshit. So, again, people out there, if you are in a a state that has new laws that are trying to be implemented or that have passed, all you have to do, and this is the simplest thing, in my opinion, that you could do, go to Google, type in new state voting procedures, screenshot, make sure it's from an accredited website, a government website or accredited news website, screenshot the new laws or the new rules and post it on your IG Post it on your, your Twitter, post it on your Snapchat, post it on your TikTok, just so you can spread the word and that people will not be blindsided and then their ability to vote, which is their constitutional right, taken away from them. People will not be arrested for just trying to hand out water to somebody standing on a long ass line in the 100 degree sun. You know what I'm saying? People won't be punished for traveling during the election season so they can't do their absentee ballot or they can't mail it in or they can't just go to a designated area and drop it in a secure box and all of this shit is important and the spread of information is very vital so guys out there i think is extremely important your voting rights are slowly but surely trying to be taken away from you and it is important and and if you out there still believe that voting does not work or is not real you are not paying the fuck attention you are not paying the fuck attention so please google new state voting procedures new state voting laws whatever you feel like putting in there find the government website or the state website sponsored find an accredited news website screenshot that information and just post it on your social media to help spread the word because this shit is really important and just like i said in the beginning when I'm 90 years old and I'm sitting in my lazy boy and I'm rocking back and forth thinking about life and I have the thought like our kids do kids know about crime mob and little John and bone crusher and the yin yang twins I also will have that thought like I hope that the shit that we did in 2021 was enough you know the shit that we did in 2020 was enough and that enough young people were motivated and galvanized to prevent racist measures from occurring to take away their rights that they have as American citizens. And that's all I got on it, man. This is our country too. God damn it. They'll try to make you believe that it ain't yours too, but it is. And you have a right and, and a duty 
to say and to say how you feel, to express your opinion and to vote for things and measures that you believe is helpful for your community. And that's a fucking fact. It's a straight up fact. No one can say that is is that is untrue. So it's very important for us as young people, as older people in this generation currently to do everything that we can to protect the rights that we have and that the rights that we deserve. And that's all I got on it. Voting is important. Voting does matter. And if you're not careful, they will take that shit from you. And that's all I got on voting for today. And so moving right along, you guys can follow me and hit me up on Instagram and Twitter at Rogers Neighborhood. Instagram is R-O-D-G-E-R-S-N-E-I-G-H-B-O-R-H-O-O-D. Twitter is the exact same, just no vowels in neighborhood on Twitter. And I'm saying this and repeating it for the one millionth time because I ask you guys weekly to send in comments, questions, concerns, constructive criticism, feedback, whatever you have for me. And you guys never let me down, and I truly, 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 truly appreciate it. So I want to answer some of the questions that I have received here. The first one says, what is the most useless talent that you have? Wow. Hmm. Um, the most useless talent. I can name all 50 states and all 50 capitals. That is super useless. (laughs) Super, super, super useless. I know all the states in America and I know all the capitals for the states. And that I feel like is one of the most useless fucking tools ever. Because even if I'm traveling, sometimes or most of the time, the capital of the state is not the most populous city in the state, right? It's not the most tourist attractive place in the state. So it's like, okay, I know that the capital of 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 illinois is springfield right but i'm when if i go to illinois i'm not trying to go to springfield i'm trying to go to chicago right i know that the capital of louisiana is baton rouge but if i go to louisiana i'm not trying to visit baton rouge i'm trying to visit new orleans if i know the capital of florida is tallahassee i'm not trying to go to no fucking tallahassee and no disrespect to people who live in these places I'm trying to go to Miami. So as it's completely useless. Like I know all 50 states, bro, and all 50 capitals, and it's completely useless. So there you go. Don't there's no point in learning that. <laughs> so I don't know what I don't know what I was on or what made me want to look at that and memorize them as a child, but I definitely still remember all 50 states and capitals, and it's completely fucking useless. So there you go. Uh, The next question that I have says, coming up as a child, what did you say that you wanted to be when you grew up? Ah, okay. That's good. That's a good question. Coming up as a child, what did I want to be? I I wanted to be a lot of things. I wanted to be a lot of things, but mainly I just wanted to be in positions where I could run my mouth. You know, that's, those are the jobs that I always wanted to have. Like I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be like a sports analyst or a news anchor a sports writer, and also, you know, uh, sort of impossible dreams, a football player, a basketball player, you know, an astronaut, which is not impossible, but very difficult, and a stand-up comedian as well. It's still on my bucket list. I'm going to find a way to do an open mic just to cross it off my bucket list, just to see if I could do it, you know, just to go to a place that has open mic night, 
get up, write some jokes, do have a five minute, you know, routine and just do it just to say I did it. Even if I'm fucking suck. I just I just want to cross that off my bucket list so bad. Stand up comedy. I just want to try it one time anyway. But what's funny about all of that is doing a podcast is kind of like doing all of that shit. I could be a lawyer. I could talk about laws just like I did with voting laws. I could talk about, you know, arguing my side, my opinion on politics and shit. I could be a news anchor. I report on stories and give my own spin. I tell you guys the news or news that I think is important. Sports analyst, you guys know I talk about sports all the time. Like, it's funny. Like, being a potter or being in the podcasting world has allowed me to do all of these things that I had as a kid that I wanted to do. I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a sports analyst and a news anchor and a sports writer and all that shit. And doing a pod is literally all of that in one. So I don't know, man. If you don't believe God is real, I don't know what to tell you because there's no way I would have believed that I would be doing this shit that has allowed me to do all the things that I wanted to be as a child. So there you go, man. If you out there, chase your dreams, man. You could accomplish everything that you want to do in life. Facts. Big facts. And the last question that I have for you guys today says, if you could play any position in baseball, basketball, football, and soccer, what positions would you choose? Well, first, let's do soccer. Denzel is not a very coordinated young man. Okay? I feel like my ankles are made of stone. I have two left feet. Two left hands, two left legs, goddammit. Two left arms. I am not super coordinated. So soccer, all the skill it takes, like I just watched the fucking Euros. Like soccer's hard. Like you can't use your hands. You got to kick the ball, use your head, use your chest, kick it with your knees and all that shit. I'm trying to be the goalie if I play soccer. Let me just stand in front of the fucking net. And when niggas try to shoot, I block the shit with my hands or block the shit with my feet. Like. Let me just do that. But running up and down the the field, the soccer field, and kicking niggas and jumping and heading the ball and all that shit, I can't do that. So definitely, soccer, goalie, just so I can be useful if I had to do that shit. Goalie. Shout out to Tim Howard. <laughs> um, in football, I always wanted to play defense. Always. I'm a huge Pittsburgh Steelers fan. The Pittsburgh Steelers have the legendary history of defense. When I first started watching football, the Steelers had James Harrison, linebacker, crazy. We had James Ferrier. We had Larry Foote. We had uh, uh, Lamar Woodley. Um, Who else did we have linebacker? Uh, I can't remember. Oh, back in the day, day, the Steelers had Greg Lloyd and Kevin Green. And safety, they had Troy Polamalu, my guy, Ryan Clark. We had Rod Woodson. We had Mel Blunt. Like, the Steelers had some niggas on defense. Um, on the defensive line, the Steelers had uh, Mean Joe Green, of course, the OG. But we also had um, uh, Casey Hampton. We had Brent Kiesel. We had, um, who else was on defense for the Steelers? Uh, uh, we got... Uh, fuck, can't remember. Uh, currently we have Javon Hargrave. We got TJ Watt now who's killing it. Like the Steelers have had a tradition of defense. And so when I first started watching football, the person who made me a Steelers fan, because it was so interesting to watch him play was Troy Polamalu. 
when I first started watching it, I didn't know shit about football. And so I would watch this guy, Troy Polamalu, who I didn't know his name, with this long ass hair, uh, playing defense, who would just run around the field and play like a fucking psycho, like play like if the Tasmanian devil became a football player. And it was like super intriguing. And then the Steelers wore black and yellow. So it looked like giant bumblebees running around on the field. And they had this crazy guy (laughs) with long ass hair tackling everybody, intercepting the ball, causing fumbles, jumping over the offensive lineman, doing crazy shit on the football field. And that's how like my love for the Steelers started. So I always wanted to play strong safety like my guy, Tropolamalu. I wanted to play linebacker because the Steelers have their biggest rival in division is the Baltimore Ravens. And for years, the Baltimore Ravens had Ray Lewis at middle fucking linebacker, Terrell Suggs at outside linebacker, and they had Ed Reed as a safety. So I always wanted to play linebacker or safety because some of the my favorite guys to watch, even if they were on opposing teams, like always had great linebackers and safeties. Like I remember Brian Erlacher for the Bears, Lance Briggs. Um, I remember um, for the for the uh, Seahawks, you know, they had Bobby Wagner and Cam Chancellor was the safety. Earl Thomas was the safety. They had, for the um, for the Broncos, you know, had Tom Jackson of the Orange Crush defense. You know, like I just love defense. Like I love football. Period. But if I ever wanted to play football. Like, I don't want to play the gl- the glitzy quarterback or the glitzy star wide receiver. Like, I want to put my shoulder pad into a motherfucker's chest. You know what I'm saying? So, definitely, linebacker or safety if I was ever to play football. And uh, baseball, uh, third base, for sure. Third base. Shout out to my guy, Mets legend, David Wright. I love you, David Wright. Shout out to David Wright. Um, third baseman for the Mets. Uh, who retired, uh, what was that, three years ago? The captain of the Mets. Um, but yeah, third base. It's always fun. It's like the they call it the hot corner because usually most people bat right-handed because most people are right-handed. So balls usually hit strongly go to third base, and third baseman has to be athletic enough to catch the balls that are hit very fast and also have a strong enough arm to throw the ball across the diamond. So I always like third base. Third base and center field if I had to choose another position. And basketball, I think I want to be a shooting guard. Like, the point guard has too much responsibility. The point guard has to get the the offense called and has to, you know, make sure everyone's in the right position and distribute the ball and also be able to shoot and be a leader and all this shit. That's generally what the point guard is supposed to do. The shooting guard really just shoots the ball and plays defense. And that is something that I would want to do. Like, I would want to be like a Ray Allen type. Run around screens, you know, shoot shoot the three, shoot the mid-range, get some isos, and then play defense. And that's it. Like, the center and the power forward have to worry about these bigs that are super talented nowadays, shooting threes, blocking their shots, banging bodies. Like, imagine being a random power forward or center and having to play against Shaq like that's not fun (laughs) I would much rather let Kobe light me up for 40 and then so I could try to get you know 20 against him or something like that that's just my opinion so I would rather be a shooting guard uh in my in in if I was to ever play basketball so to recap soccer goalie football linebacker or safety 
baseball third baseman and basketball shooting guard for sure. Like I want to play like James Harden. Like James Harden don't even play no defense. He just shoot the ball, dribble and shoot. That's it. So <laughs> those are my choices. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you guys again for the questions. I truly appreciate it. I appreciate the love. I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate you guys sending in questions. And I look forward to answering more and more and more and more and more of you guys' questions. I truly, truly appreciate the love and the support. Next on the docket, we have to talk about beef. Beef. Beef in all areas in entertainment, okay? We got so many beefs. Well, not so many, but we got a few beefs that I wanted to talk about um, because I was like, these shits is crazy. These shits is wild. Let's get it. So the first beef I want to talk about is Scotty with, with Scotty Pippen. Now, before we even get started with it, remember in 2020, the last dance documentary came out. One of the best documentaries I've ever seen in my life. 10 part documentary on Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls in the nineties. In that documentary, though, one of the sticking points of it was Scottie Pippen's portrayal, where Michael was never portrayed as anything other than positive. Of course, it's his fucking documentary. Are you fucking stupid? Anyway, but Michael was portrayed as a hero in all facets, while Scottie, even though being one of Michael's most important teammates, all of his... uh, missteps or all of his mistakes were highlighted and even when Michael wasn't playing they highlighted his mistakes so first they highlighted the fact that he was not getting paid much money and so that he decided to not have surgery as to stick it to the club and recover on the company dime that was one of the biggest um things that was portrayed in the last dance how Scottie Pippen was very very unhappy with his contract And he had a legitimate gripe um, with it. But instead of having surgery in the offseason and coming back healthy to help the team, he decided to have surgery during the season and miss games as a FU to the general manager and the owner of the team. Next was his, um, his decision to not go into the game during the 1994 NBA playoffs against the Knicks where Tony Kukoc hit a game-winning shot against the Knicks in the playoffs. And, you know, they they really, like, you know, highlighted one of St- Scottie Pippen's biggest um, blunders, if you will. You know, just cr- further creating the narrative that Scottie Pippen is just this, you know, guy who just continually needs to F up, right? That's, that's how I took it. Um, Fing up in terms of his financial sense because he got a really shitty contract. Effing up in terms of his selfishness because he would not get surgery to help the team. He wanted to recover um, during the season. And selfishness in that he would not go into the game given that someone else was given an opportunity over him. So it was painting Scotty in a very childish, immature, selfish way. And I could understand how feelings could be hurt by that. And I could understand how people, their legacy kind of gets tarnished because of things like that. And there's a lot of people who didn't watch Scotty play. The Last Dance is not for fans who were alive in the 80s and 90s and watched the shit. The Last Dance is for kids, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20-year-old kids who never really know about Michael Jordan other than when first take and undisputed has a debate who's better, LeBron or Michael Jordan. In my opinion, it's LeBron. Episode 23, if you want to hear that shit. Um, 
So Scotty has had a lot of reasons to be upset. So um, over the last few weeks, he's done a few things. He's wrote he wrote a, he wrote a book, and he also did a GQ article um, while promoting his own like tequila or bourbon or something like that. So the book and the tequila is going lockstep. So he's making a lot of media appearances, and in his media appearance, he was asked about Phil Jackson's decision to not play to not give him the last shot in that game against the New York Knicks while Michael Jordan was no longer on the team because he was playing baseball in 1994. And he went on to say that Phil Jackson's decision to not play or to not give him the ball in that situation was racially motivated. Now, that's a big claim. Right. Because you think of Phil Jackson, you think of 11 championships, six with the Bulls, Mike and Scotty, five with the Lakers, three with Shaq and Kobe, two with Kobe and Gasol. Right. You 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 know. And then uh, Phil also won one as a player with the 1969 New York Knicks, Willis Reed, Walt Clyde Frazier. So you hear that and automatically you're like, nigga, what? He's racist. What? So what I'm going to do is I'm going to play you the clip of Scotty on the Dan Patrick show explaining why he believed that Phil Jackson's decision to give Tony the ball instead of him was racist and other racist things that Phil Jackson has done in his life. Help me understand the GQ article where you talked about the 1994 playoff game when you refused to go back in the game and Phil set up the play for Tony Kukoc. Well, I mean, it's not much to be said if you go back and look at when Scotty Pippen entered the Bulls and when Tony Kukoc entered the Bulls and who deserved the last shot of the game. No, no, um, no, I understand that, Scotty. I'm just going by what you said. You said you need to read between the fine lines and then you go on to say it was a racial move to give him, Tony Kukoc, a ride. So, well, I mean, if you knew that Scotty Pippen had been with the Bulls from 87, battled through the Pistons and every other team that we had to get to those three championships. Wouldn't you give Scottie Pippen one opportunity to get a last second shot without Michael Jordan? Like one year without Michael Jordan, can I get one shot? Like I'm doing all the dirty work. But all of that I understand from the basketball standpoint, but when you say a racial move. Well, why would, why would Tony, who was a rookie, get the last second shot and you put me out of bounds? That's what I mean, racial. Like that was Scottie Pippen's team. But but Scottie Phil Pippen then, was but, but, on pace to be an MVP that year, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, why would you put him in a position not to be successful? Why wouldn't you put him in a position to succeed? Michael Jordan is not there. So who's next in line for you? But if you talk to Phil about this, because by saying a racial move, then you're you're calling Phil a racist. I don't got a problem with that. <laughs> do you think Phil was or is? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, do you remember Phil Jackson left the Lakers, went, wrote a book on Kobe Bryant, and then came back and coached him? I mean, who would do that? You name someone in professional sports that would do that. You know? I well, think he, he tried to expose Kobe <laughs> in a way that he shouldn't have. You're the head coach. And you're the guy that sits in the locker room and tells the players, this is a circle. And everything stays within the circle. 
because that's what team is about. But you as the head coach, open it up. And now you go out and you try to belittle, at that time, probably one of the greatest players in the game. So, you know, not all of what he's saying is off to me. To me. If you are the star of the team, in 1994, Scottie Pippen finished third in MVP voting. Uh, Hakeem the Dream Olajuwon was first in first place, so he won the award. Second was David Robinson of the Spurs. Third was Scotty. Fourth was Shaq. And fifth was Pat Ewan. So if you're top three in the league, if you finish top three in MVP voting, that means you're within the top 10 of players in the league for that season. Why wouldn't you give your best player and top three in the league MVP wise the opportunity to win the game in the playoffs? I understand. I understand it. Also, if you were the coach of Kobe, uh, of Kobe and Shaq, and then you retire, and then you come back to write a book, and you basically are attacking Kobe and the way he conducted his business, the way he played basketball, the way he was as a teammate and a leader, you could say that he has some legitimate gripes. Now, most people in the sports in the sports landscape have. Uh, discarded this saying that Scotty is just bitter that he is one of the greatest players in the history of the league who does not get enough shine and that he does not like it and that he is just is just sour grapes for Scotty but I will say I will say this is where I do agree with him sometimes you don't know how people really feel unless they get upset You don't know how people really are unless it's a situation where you're doing something that they don't like. So Scotty has remained mum on this topic until he feels the need to say something about it. And people are shitting on him because he's saying, well, no, because he didn't go into the game and it's being relived now because it happened in 94. It's being relived. Oh, Scotty's such a bad teammate, etc. And he's saying, well, hey, my side of the story is I was dealing with powers beyond my control. He was. He was dealing with the front office, not wanting to pay him. And then he was dealing with Phil apparently choosing Tony over him. I'm not going to say Phil's racist because I don't know Phil. I will say again, too, also. You don't really know as a black person in any business, how people really feel about you until shit hits the fan, unfortunately. Um, And this just happened in the Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols situation. People who follow sports know who Maria Taylor and Rachel Nichols are. If you guys don't know, they both work for ESPN. They both cover the NBA. Maria Taylor is a host of the NBA Countdown And she does other NBA-related programming and also college football-related programming. Rachel Nichols also does NBA-related programming. She's the host of The Jump. And she does interviews with players. She does SportsCenter spots. And she does live sideline reporting from games. There was a recent leaked audio tape of Rachel Nichols, who is white, upset that Maria Taylor, who is black, has advanced quote-unquote past her and has gotten the assignment to do NBA Finals coverage. Currently, it's the Bucks and the Suns. And 
Maria Taylor does NBA Countdown. So they've given her the full reign over the hosting of the NBA Finals. And in the leaked audio tape, Rachel was very upset that Maria got the spotlight over her. And she believed it was because ESPN didn't want a bad look to put a non-white person in the spotlight. I mean, I'm sorry, to put a... A ESPN wanted to put a black person in the spotlight, even though Rachel believed that she was underqualified because of Black Lives Matter and because of all the social movements. Now, I'm someone who believed that Rachel Nichols was one of the few good white people left. I swear I was. I was fooled even. I was fooled. And I'm not going to play you the, the tape. Of, of Rachel Nichols and what she had to say about Maria Taylor because I really don't like it. I really don't like it. If you want to find it, the internet is free. It's easy to find. Um, but I swear, I I don't... I don't know. Like you don't, you don't know even who to trust. You don't even know who has your back, right? You don't know who's a real ally and who's just doing it to save face, right? So... With that, you don't know who is racist and who is not racist. This is what I'm trying to say. So, for example, someone like Rachel, you think, because she interviews all the players. All the players seem to have a good relationship with her. I would watch the, I used to watch The Jump almost every day because it was a good basketball show, basketball only. And she had a whole bunch of players who would come in. They always had a good rapport with her. She's had Richard Jefferson, Kendrick Perkins, Rasheed Wallace, Matt Barnes, Chris Paul, Jimmy Butler, Giannis, Adam Silver, the commissioner. Like she interviews all the players, all the great players. They all sit down with her. They never have issues with her. You never hear anything bad about her. So in my head, I'm thinking, okay, she was one of the white people in sports media who is understanding and fair and will give you a fair interview and won't ask you bogus questions and won't try to ask you racially motivated questions and all these things that athletes deal with being black within the media space, dealing with reporters and stuff. So I had the list in my head of white allies in, 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 in sports media and mainly basketball. So I thought Ernie Johnson, my guy, um, I thought Craig Sager, rest in peace, Marv Albert, Rachel Nichols. I thought of, um, what's this girl's name? Um, Damn, what's her name? Not not her. Uh, it's a guy. He's like a nerdy guy. What's his name? Zach Lowe. That's his name. Zach Lowe and Bill Simmons, my guy. Um, Bill Simmons, one of the guys who uh, inspired me to start potting. Shout out to Bill Simmons. Um, so I'm. That's my list of like white allies within the NBA community, right? NBA sports landscape. But then you see, like, really, how many of them really are on your side when you get something that they want. It quickly becomes white versus black instead of talent or whatever the case. So if Scotty is saying, listen, I'm on the team. I've been on the team when Mike was here, when we was fighting against Detroit. I've been on the team when we, uh, you know, finally beat Detroit. We won three championships. I've been a key member on this team. It's finally my time to get under like underneath the Michael Jordan shadow. The Bulls had a great season that year. They were third in the East. And in the playoffs, at the biggest moment, I'm supposed to be able to get that shine. And you didn't give it to me. I can't say that. 
he's all the way wrong. Maybe we don't like the delivery. Maybe we don't like that he's attacking Phil Jackson because he's a basketball legend. But I can't sit here and say that all of Scotty's complaints is wrong. I can't say. When we have seen time after time after time, white people, you think that are in your corner when you get an advantage over them or they see an opportunity to stifle you, they will. And so I don't know. More to be revealed. Obviously, Phil Jackson don't give a fuck. He is in his 80s. He has lived his full life. He has won 11 championship rings as a coach. He does not give a flying fuck. Okay. And I'm sure he will write another book tomorrow. He don't give a fuck. But it is something to keep your eye on. How many white people that you think are on your side are truly are not? I don't know if Phil Jackson is racist, and I'm not going to call him racist on this program because that's not my place, and I do not know him. Neither will I call Rachel Nichols racist because it's not my place, and I do not know her. But their actions, sometimes they always say actions speak louder than words. And in these two scenarios, white people who are generally loved in one genre are now see- we're seeing a little bit more of their racial tendencies, we'll call it. And so that's all I got. You pick your side. You let me know who you got in this. You got you on Scotty's side or you on Phil's side? What do you think of this? Let me know. Hit me up. Tell me because. I really don't see the, the, the wrongness here. He, Scott is speaking his truth. You can't say that his truth is invalid. It's his truth. And I would, a fool would not believe that someone who was as close and as integral to the Chicago Bulls' success throughout the 90s wouldn't know things that we wouldn't know. Just like when we watched The Last Dance, so much shit that we did not know comes to light if he comes out and says it on wax that phil jackson was a racist there has to be maybe a little bit of consideration for it so that's all i got on it hit me up let me know what you think are you on team scotty or are you on team phil and what do you think of scotty bringing back this old shit up um in 2021 and i'll leave it at that our next beef story that i'm covering this week on the show has to deal with two queens in the entertainment world. One is the queen of shade, Wendy Williams, and the other is the queen of positivity and all things vegan, Tabitha Brown. But what you do 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 do? Here we go. First, first, I don't even know if we can call this beef because Tabitha Brown is a vegan. So there you go. Can we even call this beef? Yeah, I'm going to still call it beef, but, you know, whatever. Vegans have their own rules. They eat their own products, whatever. If you're a vegan person out there listening, insert your vegan alternative to beef, and we'll call it that. Anyway. Also, I wouldn't call this a beef because the way that Tabitha handled this shit? Ooh, I can't wait for you guys to hear it. Anyway. So how did this all start? Let's start with the backstory. Um... After 15 years as a police officer with the LAPD, the Los Angeles Police Department, Tabitha Brown's husband, Chance Brown, announced that he retired from the police force. So when Wendy got wind of that, and of course she would follow it because Tabitha Brown is a star, bona fide star, and Chance, her husband, is involved in a lot of her videos and marketing and promo, etc., and her daughter as well. 
naturally she would comment on it because that's her job. That's Wendy's job. Um, so on one episode of her show, she said, quote, I was married to one of those where I make the money. So I say, go live your dreams and open a business and go, go, go. You see how that turned out? I predict that this marriage is going to be on real rocky ground in a moment because they may invest in stuff and lose all the money. They invest in something else. Then the money gets swindled or stolen. Then they invest again. And then he comes home and he comes home and throws his bag down. And she's like, what? And he's like, I can't do this. This is all of your fault. You're over here making your money and stuff. And you had me quit my job. So clearly, you know, if you if you are not a someone who reads between the lines, in my opinion, I believe that this is a projection from Wendy because Wendy's situation with her ex-husband, I believe his name was Kevin Hunter. I believe so. Um, her situation is clouding her judgment. And then, so she's projecting her situation or her experience onto Tabitha and her husband. That's my opinion. Clearly it's, she's hurt. And what is the old adage? Hurt people hurt people. So although there may be some truth to what Wendy is saying, it's not rooted in positivity. It's rooted in I'm hurt. And now you out here flourishing with your man. And now I want to, you know, say some shit about that. That's my opinion. And Wendy, as the queen of shade, has done this. This is one of the reasons why I honestly have Wendy Williams as one of my entertainment role models in a way. Because it doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter the situation. If Wendy has an opinion on it, no matter how fact-based or not, she's going to say it. And she's not afraid of backlash, of criticism, of people cutting her ass in return, of all the shit that comes along with it. Like, she will talk about anybody, everybody, and will not give a fuck about the results. That is something that I can't say that I don't respect. I respect that. Like, just the ability to do your show. You're going to be talking about people. People are not going to like it. Their fans are not going to like it. Media's, other media is not going to like it. And they're going to attack you for it. And you don't give a fuck. You're still going to do your shit. I really respect that. And I respect Wendy for doing that because she's been doing that since I was a kid, since before I was a kid, too. So I do love Wendy Williams. I do have love for her because she's one of the people who is just unapologetically herself. That is what I take from her. But the vegan queen, Tabitha Brown, had some bars for that ass. Trust, she has some bars for that ass. And I love Tabitha so much and just... In her manner of speaking, um, you know, the way that she has certain her little catchphrases, the way she does things for her kids. And she, I, I'm a fan of Tabitha as well. But the way that Tabitha handled this shit is a masterclass in dealing with trolls. And in this life, in this technologically sound age, if you're trying to do anything substantial, if you're trying to accomplish anything in this world, there's going to be a whole bunch of people who bring you nothing but negativity. Some people call them trolls. Some people call them haters. You could call them whatever you like. But Tabitha just presented the master class. She just wrote a thesis on how to deal with a motherfucking hater or a troll. And I'm playing this shit for you. This is Tabitha Brown's response to Wendy Williams and the shade thrown her way from the Wendy Williams show. Hello there, y'all all right? 
Very good, honey. I was up doing a little work here. That's why I got my pajamas on in my office. And then my phone started going off, like praising people. It's like, great, you're Wendy Williams. Um, first of all, Wendy Williams, honey, God bless you. God bless you. Okay. Um, and so people sent me a little clip. And I said, oh, my God, the pain this woman must be in. Wendy, the pain you must be in to feel this way. And I'm so sorry. But listen, let me tell you this. Um, 23 years I've been with my husband. Yes, uh, broke for a very long time together. Struggled for a very long time together. Succeeded for the last couple of years together, right? Uh, my husband took a job in agreement with me. He took a job 15 years ago to help support my dream. And I know you may not know what that looks like in a genuine uh, place. Right. Um, but this was an agreement that my husband and I had. And I told him 15 years ago, Ube, in five years, I'll be able to take you out of there. So then you can pursue one of your dreams that you love. Right now, I was his dog in the fight. OK. And he believed in me. And we did it together for the last 15 years. I did every year with him at LAPD. And he did every year with me with rejection and no's in this entertainment industry, right? However, God has blessed me. He has allowed me to manifest. I've been praying on this for a very long time and it has now come to pass. That is the power of God. It's also the power of allowing God to be first in your marriage, okay? Um, and that is how it remains successful. We keep him first. He is first in our marriage, not money not business, not success, but God. He's first, okay? Um, so this is my prayer for you. Uh, I pray that love finds you, true love. I pray it finds you and it holds you tight. I pray that someone will love you enough to see you, to see you when you are not well, to see you when you need true support, to see you when you need compassion, to see you when you need kindness. I pray that somebody loves you enough to sacrifice their life for you. I pray that type of love binds you so that you can understand why I don't want my husband to put his life on the line anymore wearing a bulletproof vest if he don't have to. I need some motherfucking air horns and gunshots for the way that this queen tabitha has handled wendy williams i've never seen anyone be be talked to in such a nurturing way but at the same time saying leave me the fuck alone you bitter ass bitch where the air hunts and the gunshots at oh my god <laughs> Bruh, talk about you started, I end it. Like, she said, I hope love finds you. Jeez. If I'm ever beefing with someone, right? And like I'm attacking their relationship. Oh, you know, he's a fuck boy. I don't know why you with him or whatever. Talking to a woman in this scenario. And she replies to me simply and says, honey, I hope love finds you. Oh my God. I would be so, I'll be on fire. I would be on fire. That's how hot I would be. So shout out to the vegan queen, Tabitha Brown, 
for handling this shit in the most motherly, friendly, non-confrontational, just beautiful way. You like she said you a bitter ass bitch and leave me the fuck alone without ever saying you a bitter ass bitch leave me the fuck alone. And man, shout out to shout out to the vegan queen Tabitha Brown for just handling that shit with the most amount of class and grace I've ever seen a response video ever handled with. Shout out to the vegan queen Tabitha Brown. Our last beef story of the pod for today is the baby versus the kids. The <laughs> baby versus the kids. Man, Jesus Christ. Every time I'm hearing the baby's name nowadays, it's never about the music. And if it is about the music, it's like he picks these trash ass beats, these SpongeBob ass beats, which is really funny because he low key does. <laughs> but like every time I hear his name now, it's like all negative shit. All negative shit. But just to recap the story, just to give you a brief Cliff Notes version, the baby was in, I don't know what city. I'm, I'm not sure of the city, so I'm not going to say. But he was driving around in, his, in a Sprinter van in the back seat, and he stopped the van because he saw two kids on the street selling candy. You know, generally speaking, kids sell candy for basketball, or they sell it for themselves, you know, to try to keep a few dollars in their pocket right now with summer break. So, you know, the kids... You know, they're out of school and they probably don't want to be cooped up in the house all day. And then they want to go places with their friends. So they sell some candy, make a few dollars. It's honest. It's an honest hustle. I did it in high school myself. I sold candy. Um, so these kids looked, they was about maybe like 15 years old, like te- early teenage kids. So he opens the door of the van. The kids see him. He asks them. He says, hey, how much is it for the whole box of candy? One kid says $200. So he looks like with a with a little confused look on his face. Then he asked the other kid, he said, how much is it for your box of candy? The other kid says, of course, $200. So then he proposes a question to the kids and says, how many uh, pieces of candy are in this box that you have? And the kid looks at the box and he says, 34. And he says, how much are you selling these candies for? He says, $2 a piece. So he said, do the quick math, bro. If you're selling the candy for two for $2 a piece and there's 34 pieces of candy in here, how much money is that? And then to sh- teach them a lesson, I suppose, on how he um, handled the or how they tried to handle him. He only bought instead of buying the whole box. He only bought literally two pieces of candy from each of them. And he said, you guys is out here playing the game wrong. Instead of lying to me and telling me that the box of candy was $200 and it wasn't, you should have just been honest with me and I would have blessed you. So here's the clip in its totality of the baby versus them damn kids. Yeah, we got that shit. Um, Skittles. This one for the box. Uh, this one. What you charge for? 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 you charge for? What 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 you charge for?
It ain't two hundred. That's two. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't. It ain't even hundred dollars. Sixty-eight dollars. What about you? I'm making twenty. Huh? See, I see. Look, see. Uh, yeah. Uh, you give me one, two. What that? Two dollars a piece? Dollar each. Dollar each. Dollar each. Dollar each. You gotta use your head, man. You got. You trying to play? But I was gonna bless you anyway. You got the two hundred. Now you got two dollars. Y'all be good. Look. Look, they pissed. Look, they got me fucked up. <laughs> now, this shit went kind of crazy, like, on social media, right? And you got to look at it two ways. This is just my opinion. Yes. Should the baby have blessed the kids with money because they clearly just trying to get money the honest way? They're not trying to rob nobody they're not trying to be stick up kids you know in the summertime you want a few dollars in your pocket generally speaking kids don't try to hustle the legal way right you know kids just go they put their mask on they become stick up kids or whatever the case like you've seen that a whole bunch of times kids in the summer with no school nothing to do just going out and getting into mischievous activities it's for sure so because they're being little young entrepreneurs, they're trying to sell a little candy, you bless them, right? But in the video, he did say, you got to use your head. I was going to bless you until you tried to play me. And that's where I'm at with it. I sold candy in high school. If someone came up to me and said, hey, I want to buy the whole box of candy. How much do you have? I'm not going to say you know, this astronomical number because one, they can count and two, they want to bless me and buy my whole box of candy. The headache of getting a full box of 50 candy. I used to sell Welch's fruit snacks. The headache of trying to sell 50 Welch's fruit snacks in a week. Okay. That's hard work. Okay. Train hustling after school. At the in the cafeteria, you trying to hustle, and then you trying to fight the urge not to eat the damn candy yourself and say fuck the box. So, should he have given the kids the money, even the sixty eight dollars it cost for the whole box? Maybe, but we cannot tell people how to spend their money. Number one, we don't have the right to tell kids to tell people, not kids. We don't have the right to tell people how to spend their money, and two. It, you know you're trying to you're trying to finesse a finesse apparently so you gotta get what's getting what <laughs> you gotta get what's coming off that i mean if you i've been hearing this since i was a young man honesty is the best policy they came up to him and it was like you know how much for the box the young man said 68 dollars i'm i am so sure i am so sure that he would have given them maybe 200 a piece because he had a whole roll, I'm sure he would have given them 200 apiece. Keep your heads up, young men. You're doing good shit. I'm glad you're out here selling candy, not gang banging. Have a good day. I I guarantee it. I guarantee it. He would have did that shit. But because they try to get cute, they seen the chains, they seen the gold teeth, they seen the the, the bust down rolly. They said, "Yo, I'm gonna try to come up." And $200 for a box of candy with 32 candies inside gets you with nothing. So, hey, should you embarrass the kids like that and humiliate the kids like that? No, you shouldn't. 
But at the same time, the kids, you can't be out here trying to hustle, can't be out here trying to finesse and have your theory be like the easiestly debunked shit ever. There's no way candy for $2 a piece ends up with, with a container of 32 pieces of candy ends up to be $200. That's just hustling backwards. Big facts. So, hey, should he could he have handled it differently? Yes. But the kids, those kids are, have learned a lesson. I guarantee that will follow them for the rest of their lives. Either you got to hustle smarter or you just got to be honest. And I'm sure that that life lesson is worth more than any box of candy would sell for 68 or $200. And that's all I got. Better luck next time, kids. Better luck next time. <laughs> Last on the docket, I want to talk about the race to space and how if you let them, white people will even try to colonize the goddamn moon. My mother's response for every out-of-pocket thing that's ever happened in this world is... White people are crazy. <laughs> yes. Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk, and Richard Branson have a combined net worth of $400 billion, roughly the size of the GDP of the entire nation of Ireland. And all three men have decided to put vast sums of their wealth into chasing their space travel dreams, creating a modern space race in which ultra-rich men, rather than countries, shoot for the stars. The space companies founded by the three billionaires have all slightly different goals and have varying visions on how to achieve them, but never has the Branson-Musk-Bezos dynamic appeared more competitive than when Branson announced earlier this month that he would fire himself into outer space on a suborbitable joyride just days before Bezos will clamber into his own rocket. But which billionaire is truly winning the so-called space race? It all depends on how you look at it. The press has billed Bezos, Branson, and Musk as the three so-called space barons because of their similarities. All made their fortunes in other industries before setting their sights on extraterrestrial ventures, Musk in online payments and electric cars, Bezos with Amazon, and Branson with his empire of virgin-branded businesses. And they all founded their companies within a few years of each other becoming the most recognizable faces in the 21st century space race, in which titans of private industry are racing each other to space, rather than Western governments racing, racing Eastern governments like in the space race of the last century. But they certainly aren't the only players in the game, and they may not be the only space barons for long. There are hundreds of space startup companies across the United States and the world focused on everything from satellite tech to orbiting hotels. SpaceX, Blue Origin, and Virgin have also benefited greatly through partnerships with NASA and the U.S. military. And all three continue to compete and occasionally partner with legacy aerospace companies such as Boeing and North Northrop Grumman and United Launch Alliance. To sum it up, the all three billionaires have similar but distinct extraterrestrial ambitions, and the goal is for the private sector to get satellites, people, or cargo into space cheaper and quicker than it has been in the decades of the past. But the race, as much as it is one, can also be just as much about the eccentric personalities and egoism of some of the world's richest men.
On July 11th, billionaire Richard Branson made the first tourist space flight in history. The VSS Unity flight of his company Virgin Galactic was destined for the border between Earth and space. The spacecraft took off on Sunday around 8.40 a.m. from Spaceport America in New Mexico. After flying for an hour to the altitude of 15 kilometers, the spacecraft released the space plane carrying Branson and the crew so it could leave the Earth's atmosphere. The objective of the plane was to reach the limit between space and Earth, which would be 80 kilometers high, as stipulated by the United States government. At this point, the sky turns from blue to black, the curvature of the planet can be seen, and it is possible to float in weightlessness. My mother's response for every out-of-pocket thing that's ever happened in this world is, white people are crazy. <laughs> so I was thinking about ways that I would talk about this topic. Um... And I was thinking, like, what angle am I going to draw from this? What are the positives? What are the negatives? But then, as luck would have it, I remembered an old stand-up comedy routine from one of the stand-up legends, Cat Williams, in 2012 about sending motherfuckers to space, about going to space, about how, you know, people were going to go into space and fly into space and all that shit. So I'm just going to play you this clip from Cat from one of his comedy specials. I believe this was called Catpocalypse. What a great name, anyway. And let him tell you about his thoughts about going to space. And I'm going to just leave it there. Here is Cat Williams talking about space. Had a little company. Used to be in America called NASA. Standing for National Air Space Exploration Take my word for it, niggas. It stood for going up there. Look at white people, that is not what it stood for. That would be N-E-A-S-A. We don't know what he's doing. Fact of the matter is, NASA used to report to us. Let us know what the fuck they was doing. And for 40 years, they spent $500 million a year sending space shuttles up, bringing them back down. And they used to let us see them when they took off. And then when they landed, we'd be right there and we'd say, show us what you got. (laughs) Then they started doing sneaky shit. Taking off the space shuttles at three o'clock in the goddamn morning and shit. Landing them in the middle of the night and if ain't nobody looking, they just walk off. And now on CNN, they say they just discovered 16 new super-Earths. 16 new super-Earths. Now let me speak for all niggas when I say what the fuck. Here's a goddamn super-Earth. We thought this motherfucker was super the whole goddamn time. Look at niggas, I don't believe none of this shit, man. It's true, niggas. They had it on CNN the same goddamn day I was on CNN. How the fuck could I have missed that? They put the shit right up under me, blew a nigga's whole high. Just 16 new supers. 
They planning on leaving us, people. Please remember where you heard it first, right at the cusp of 2012. They got space shittles lined up with GPS navigation on star. Because remember what I told you, the 99% of them was niggas? And we're the original niggas. Rich people is tired of going on vacation, seeing niggas. So this is why you got to let people talk. You know, it was so much better for you guys to hear Cat Williams' theory on why everyone's so concerned with space. And remember, this was 2012 that that comedy special came out. This is not a new thing. Like, this is not his new stand-up. This was nine years ago where he put that out. Nine years ago, he said that. And I think the man's a fucking genius or an oracle. Because that is exactly what I believe these motherfuckers are going to try to do. These motherfuckers are going to try and colonize the moon, Mars, or Jupiter, whatever. I believe that these niggas are going to start to build shit on, on these other planets that are neighboring the Earth. And the riches of the rich are going to start leaving Earth and going to space. That is what I believe. There was a movie, I think, about that. Uh, shit, I know it starred Matt Damon. I don't know the name. Um, if I could do some just live research right now. Hold on. I should have had this before. Hold on. Let me see. Matt, I'm going to just type it to Google. <laughs> Matt Damon movie about people going to space. Not the Martian. Not the Martian. Elysium, Elysium, this is the movie right here, 2013 it came out, after Cat Williams' prediction again, also, Cat, if you're listening, uh, you should get some, try to get some royalties for this, the, the plot of the movie, I'm gonna just read you the plot, in the year 2154, humanity is sharply divided between two classes of people, the ultra-rich live aboard a luxurious space station called Elysium, and the rest live in a hard-scrabble existence in the Earth's ruins. His life is hanging in the balance. A man named Max agrees to undertake a dangerous mission that could bring equality to the population, but, Senator, but Secretary Delacourt 
played by Jodie Foster, vows to preserve the pampered lifestyle of Elysium citizens no matter what the cost. Facts! This is exactly what's gonna happen. And they say the truth is stranger than fiction. They say the truth is stranger than fiction. This is what I believe is gonna happen. Bezos, Branson, Musk, and whomever else has the capital is gonna start going up to space just to see if they can get there successfully. They're going to have, you know, training programs to learn how to be a space pilot and all the shit that goes along with that, a space stewardess, all the shit that goes along with that. Then they're going to start building shit on the fucking moon or on Mars or on any other planet that they choose to. And they're going to start letting motherfuckers go up there to live. It's either going to start with like, hey, stay at the moon hotel. It's going to start with that. Hey, go to the moon restaurant. It's going to start with that. Then niggas is going to start building houses, schools, playgrounds, amusement parks, all of that shit on in space, wherever planet you decide that you want to. And they're going to leave the rest of the 99% of niggas down the fuck here while floods and all extreme weather and climate and all the shit starts to destroy the earth. That is my hot take. Shout out to Cat Williams for for predicting the motherfucking future. You know, they tell you all the people who are really smart, they call them crazy. You know, Cat Williams has had his running. You know, he's a wild guy. But that was right on the motherfucking money, bro. That was on the money. That is my hot take. That's my conspiracy. That's my tinfoil hat man vibe right now. That motherfuckers is going to start, rich, rich, rich motherfuckers, 1% motherfuckers, is going to start going to motherfucking space and start to build new life in space to leave all the poor people down here on Earth. That is my hot take. So... It's cute to see Richard Branson say, oh, my God, we finally did it. You know, whatever. It is a breakthrough in modern technology. Facts, it is. But the nature of capitalism and the nature of, you know, how the world has been has never sought to bring equality to people. It's always sought to separate the rich from the non-rich. So you heard it here third because Cat Williams said it first and then Matt Damon did the movie second and I'm saying it third. So you heard it here third. But that is what I think the big play is and why these billionaires are so concerned about space. Because in reality, these motherfuckers could do so much good in the world. And it really probably wouldn't hurt their pop their pockets. There's so much problems that happen that are happening on the earth currently. Poverty, homelessness, um, clim- extreme climate change, you know what I'm saying? Racial uh racial tension. Like, there's so much things that programs and money could do and help, right? There's so many ways that they can use their vast fortunes to help the current world. But they don't give a fuck about that. They've made their money already. they talking about the next world. So, you know, hey, you heard it here third. Keep your third eye open for all this space shit. Blue Origin and SpaceX and Virgin Galactic. Keep your third eye open because I have a feeling within the next 10 years or 20 years or even 30, 40, 50 years, they're going to start with the we're going to the moon and we're going up there to stay. And if you ain't got no money, guess who can't come? Yo, broke ass. 
So just keep your third eye open for all of this space shit. And that, guys, will wrap it up. Episode number 67 of the Bronx Bias Podcast is in the books. I'm your host once again. My name is Denzel. I want to say thank you to everyone who tunes in, who likes, who subscribes, who shares, and who supports. Thank you to everyone who is active and engaged with me on the social media platforms. I truly, truly, truly appreciate the love and the support I receive from you guys. Um, please do not forget, your boy Denzel has official Bronx Bias Pod merchandise available for purchase. You can visit the website bronxbiaspod.myshopify.com. I got hoodies, t-shirts, tote bags, COVID masks, and stickers, and much, much more to come. Um, the products are quality, quality material. You don't have to worry about, you know, if you throw it in the wash, it's going to shrink, or the screen print will come off. You know, you don't have to worry about any of those things. Um, I'm just a young black man trying to get some money in his pocket and stay out of trouble. I'm not trying to scam you like the little kids and the baby. These are quality material, quality products. They will not fall apart and break. Help a brother. Go keep uh, keep his dream alive with this podcast. Um, and it would be greatly, greatly, greatly appreciated for everyone who does go out and purchase the merch. I'm going to fade you guys out with a great, 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 great song today. It's one of my favorite songs ever. Honestly, like I can't do a list of my top 50 or my top 100 songs, but this song definitely falls in the category of one of my favorite songs. This song is called Killer Cam by Cameron off of the album Purple Haze. And this has been the Bronx bias podcast episode 67 have a great week have a great weekend out there be safe we are out
Say, me. Clap. Say, clap. It's me. Clap. Harlem, I know y'all know about this. Yo. I'm from where Nicky Barnes got rich as fuck. Rich and A hit the kitchens, then we're pitching up. Rob Bass, Mace, Dougie Fresh, switched it up. I do both, who am I to fuck tradition up? So I parked in a tourway zone, chrome. I don't care, that car throwaway homes. Welcome to Harlem, where you welcome the problems. Awful furlough, fella, felons get partners. Them niggas knew we bang, stood out like booty tang. Soon as a schoolie sang, that's when the tootie sang. Bang, bang, came from that movie ring. Snap, track, jewelry, bling. Flat, jack, we bring. Clack, clack, coolie ring. Bad rap, cuties cling. Ass cap, put them in the river. I'm the sushi king. And I'ma keep you fresh. Let the fish eat your flesh. Yes, sir, please confess. Just say he's the best. Sing. Clap. Yes. Uh, it's me. Sing. Sing. Clap. Yes, sir. Me and this shit, listen, yo, how dope is this, teach you how to rope with chicks, what you want, coke or piff, got it all, smoke or sniff, and you know my drift, used to figures throwing shit, you a rooster nigga, this a roaster bitch, and I roast your bitch, that's how I usually ends, tell her and her groupie friends, go get they Gucci cleanse, we the moody, Gucci, Louis, and Gucci men, a scout of pride of the chopper, got the Uzi lens, Birds I view, the birds I knew Flip birds, bird things, it was birds I flew And bird I blew, off herb I drew I would serve on stoops, now swerving coops It's me, sing, Alright, so you're here. Purple Haze the album. You ready? Roll that shit. Light that shit. Now smoke that shit. Now get ready for the drama, 